Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations with Kaylee. My name is Kaylee Kukwa, and I've spent the last decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of two, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my book knowledge and combining it with real life experiences to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations that always include practical tips so you can walk away feeling inspired and empowered to make simple yet impactful changes in your family's life. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to another Behavior Bites episode. These are bite-sized pieces of information of common early childhood behaviors, so you can listen to it, take it, and run with it very quickly and have practical strategies for addressing these really common behaviors in early childhood. And today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite things, and that is the children who seem to never want to talk about it. When you bring it up, they get really prickly, they put their defenses up, and they just want to say, mom, leave me alone, or I'm not talking about it, or maybe they even become explosive. So this behavior is often brought up by parents when I discuss the process of reflection, when we're talking about consequences and how reflection can be a really helpful thing to a learning vehicle for children. And we can invite brainstorming for how to problem solve or how to respond differently. But what do you do if your kid just shuts down and refuses to engage in this conversation? Often, these children are very, very sensitive. They're deep feelers. Maybe they're even neurodiverse, and they tend to be particularly hard on themselves. The process of reflection can feel almost intolerably vulnerable. And that vulnerability triggers them to armor up. Brene Brown uses that a lot. Put your armor on and shut down the conversation because and it comes off as being irritated or even explosive or clam up. And oftentimes people will interpret this as defensiveness and a lack of remorse. And that really couldn't be further from the truth. Oftentimes these children are just so overwhelmed by the experience. So before we dive into some of those backdoor strategies, I wanted to spell the myth that this is a sign of a lack of remorse. It's quite the opposite. The child feels shame around it or may feel shame around it, which is not the same as being shamed. It's just that feeling inside of us where we know we did something wrong. And so it might be intense guilt or intense shame that they're experiencing. Um, And that triggers an emotional response. Forcing the conversation won't help because in order for the conversation to be impactful, The child has to be a willing participant and engage in it and respond. So how do we open up the conversation without actually initiating a conversation? (laughs) I'm going to cover four different ways very quickly, just give you a brief overview to tickle these topics in our children's brains and introduce concepts that aren't coercive or demonstrative. And the first is storytelling. The human brain loves stories. We're more likely to remember concepts if they're presented in a storytelling format. 
And historically speaking, humans have passed down wisdom, vital survival information, family history, and more through the art of storytelling. As parents or caregivers, we can channel this natural inclination into daily routines with our children, whether it's reading storybooks, telling them stories about themselves, or telling them stories about our past, or making up stories. We can use these to highlight important concepts, values, strategies in similar situations. I find, especially for children who are sensitive to anything that may seem like it's reflective of their own experiences, telling them stories about myself accomplishes a few objectives. Number one, it normalizes the experience. Sometimes just knowing that they're not alone, nothing is wrong with them, and we all make mistakes. It helps build a self-compassion practice, which is something I've had to build in my adult life, and it's been life-changing. And I've done previous episodes about it. I have a workshop in the core membership about it. I cannot speak highly enough about a self-compassion practice. And this really does kind of introduce that concept of just normalizing the human experience. And by doing that, we foster relational safety, which opens them up a bit more to reflecting on their own experience. They can do it on their own time and in their own head and in their own space. For example, lately my son has been enthralled with reading. I know, I know, like not really a problem, right? But he completely loses himself in a book and will curl up and hide to read as much as possible. And a part of me relates so much to this. I was the child that used to get in trouble at school for reading my books inside my desk during math lessons. And let me tell you, not much has changed. (laughs) I was the child who would become quotation marks here, antisocial in the name of finishing a story. But there's the other side of this. We have to get ready for school. So as much as I love this and I identify so strongly with this, like life still needs to happen. We need to leave the house sometimes. Sometimes we need to eat. (laughs) Other lessons do need to be presented at school. So I've shared with him my story of hiding my book inside my desk during math lessons at school and the teacher explaining to me why it's important to pause my reading to pay attention to other lessons. He was so much more open to listening to this idea because it wasn't directed at him. It was my story. But he too was experiencing the same redirection and the same counseling and conversations with his teachers at school. All of a sudden, he was able to internalize the information a bit more and became a bit more accepting of it, a little less defensive when it's time to put down the book and do something different. This can work with aggression, sibling struggles, and so much more. I'll say things like, I can remember a time I wanted to hit my sister because she wrecked my Barbie stage. Or I did hit her, and then I felt terrible as I watched her cry. If you don't have any experiences that directly relate to your child's experience, children's books are a great way to do this as like an introduction to a concept or use as a springboard for discussion. What do you think the character should do next? Or, wow, he's getting really upset about that. 
I've linked a whole host of books that I recommend. There's a book list that introduces different social concepts that are really prominent and relatable in early childhood in the show notes. So you can absolutely download that and just glance over. And if you really don't know if something, a situation arises that isn't included on the book list, there's always Google, there's always Amazon. And pro tip, if I find a title with a summary that seems relatable, but I want to make sure the content fits and that I like the content for my child, you can go on YouTube and often there'll be read-alouds of these so you can preview the book before checking it out or purchasing it. If you've tried the Instagram parenting tips and tricks to gain connection and cooperation with your child and it's still not working, or maybe you just want to grow your parenting toolbox or grow your own personal skill set, If you feel confused about how to respond to some of your child's bigger behavior, or maybe you need the encouragement and accountability to make the changes you know you and your family need, CORE offers the weekly support and tools to make these powerful shifts within a supportive, uplifting community. We talk about real-life parenting, not the neat and clean two-dimensional examples given on social media. You can learn more about my core membership program by heading to www.kayleekukla.com backslash core. It's a month to month membership. You can cancel it at any time, no strings attached, and it's meant to be on demand parenting support. So you can access it when it's needed and when it's convenient for you. The link is in the show notes to learn more. And now back to this core conversation with Kaylee. You can also make up your own stories. If you like making up stories or if your child really likes listening to them with favorite characters, animals, or activities. Another strategy I love to use daily that has just become a practice for me. And it's from my teaching days and it's called Think Alouds. Think alouds are a teaching strategy to support metacognition, which is fancy for thinking about our thought processes. It's a popular strategy to teach children how to read critically, reading comprehension, what questions to ask, how to break down math problems that are multiple steps, and how to problem solve. During a think aloud, we narrate our thought process that typically occurs internally. So we're kind of giving children that backstage view of what's going on. I incorporate these daily into our routines. And honestly, I find that driving (laughs) provides tons of materials to work with. One, because we're all together. There's nothing else to do. I can kind of just talk out loud to no one and they're going to hear it, right? But there's so many examples that happen on the road. For example, how to stay safe when other people are not. Focusing on what I can control and letting go of what I can't. How to stay regulated when someone really wrongs me. (laughs) This just happened the other day. I was driving on the highway with the kids in the car and someone went speeding by and it scared. I mean, it, you know, it scares me for a bit. Like they're probably going a hundred miles an hour down I-95. It's like, what, what are you doing? (laughs) And I said, whoa, that scared me. That person seems to be in a big hurry and driving that fast isn't safe. I'll just stay in my lane and get out of their way and focus on what I can do to keep our family safe. They're in charge of their car and I'm in charge of mine. This is such a great connection for those late preschool and early elementary playground dynamics of children wanting to control 
how or what peers want to play. We worked on this concept a lot a few years ago. You can't control what other people do or play, but you can control what you choose to play. We can also do this when we are trying to do something and getting frustrated with it. That frustration tolerance. Gosh, I can't open this jar and I've been trying so long and it isn't budging. I'm going to try this one more thing. I'm going to get this dish rag and help it grip, but I may need to ask for help if this doesn't work. And then these think alouds can also extend into play, which is really our next strategy. Play is how children are wired to learn. Play integrates all of the developmental domains, which essentially means it lights up so many parts of the brain at once. And when they are activated and working together, they're building these coordinated connections for an integrated learning experience. We can use play as a vehicle to reenact tricky situations, allow children to practice, and knowing where your child is in their play development is helpful, but not as technical as that may sound. (laughs) Just think about how does your child enjoy to play? Do they imitate real life, like pretend cooking on a pretend kitchen or pretend to drive a car? So they're just imitating really simple play ideas or real life ideas. Or are they more slightly more sophisticated? They're assigning roles and getting really deep into these imaginary worlds and acting them out. If they're playing with simple themes, we want to keep our play simple so that they can relate to it. For example, building a stack of blocks and then acting scared to add one more to the top because it might fall. And if it falls, I'm going to be so disappointed. And then we can switch from that disappointment and go into problem solving. It fell and I wanted to build it up so high. I was really hoping I could get it higher. Man, I guess I'll try again. Johnny, will you help me? And then we can expand that into more sophisticated play. For example, a stuffed cat being left out and asking if they can play. Let your child direct the play and see how they respond within the safety of just this pretend world and when they're totally in control of this pretend world which is much more manageable and approachable than a real situation with peers. Two book recommendations for parents that I highly recommend are both written by Dr. Lawrence Cohen, and he's like the grandfather, godfather of play therapy, okay? And it's they are the playful parent and the opposite of worry. He gives tons of tangible examples for this kind of play, and I'll link those books in the show notes. The last strategy is probably the simplest, and that is curiosity and invitation. If we want to bring something up with our children or our child, and they're not ready to talk about it, that's okay. Remember, if we push, if we pressure them, they're going to put those defenses up, armor up, and probably either freak out or shut down that much faster. So sometimes we can just bring it up very gently, nonchalantly, without any judgment by saying something really neutral like, hey, your teacher reached out about what happened on the playground today. I understand you may not want to talk about it right now. She just wanted to check on you and I would really love to hear about it from you when you're ready. And then just leave it. Just leave it. It may take a few days or a few minutes, depending on your child and their readiness to share. And this definitely happened in our family recently, just a couple weeks ago. A really tricky situation came up. 
for my five-year-old on the school playground. And of course, I wanted to talk about it the day it happened. But you know what? He'd already talked about it with the teachers, with the peers. They had addressed it. And I brought it up in the car. And I said, okay, I understand your teacher already talked to you about it. I'd love to hear what happened from you. And then about five days later, it just all came tumbling out of him while we were driving in the car. Car conversations are such a beautiful time to introduce this. They're non-threatening. We're all in the same place. Our kids aren't looking at us eye to eye, which can intensify that vulnerability. They're a great place to start. And sometimes just knowing, just them knowing that we care and we're open to listen is enough. And maybe they won't bring up the original incident we want to address, but because we've set this non-judgmental, caring interaction and, and we continuously do this, they may be more likely to share something in the future. So those are your four backdoor conversation starters for children who don't want to talk about it. Just leave me alone. Can't you just hear it? And it's okay if you feel like some may work. Some of these strategies may work for you or your child and others won't. And of course, not every strategy is going to fit every situation. The foundation is attuning to your child and nurturing your relationship to build that relational trust and safety. This takes time and conscious effort. For support in these efforts and to learn more strategies, check out my core community, a supportive, non-judgmental community with monthly live Q&A support from me, tons of tangible printables, weekly commitments, and resources, and a huge library of workshops. Learn more at kayleekukla.com backslash core C-O-R. It's also linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here, and I can't wait to share some more Behavior Bites with you next week. Take care.